0: Welcome to Pet Sitter Confessional. Today, we're brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Perennials. Would you describe yourself as a numbers person? When you see a spreadsheet, what kind of feelings do you have? On today's episode, we talk with Anne-Marie Caden, owner of Tiny Paws Pet Sitting and Tiny Paws Bookkeeping, about the critical nature of number crunching and understanding how your business operates. You see, whether you describe yourself as a numbers person or not... You are a business owner, which means you inherently must know about numbers, at least a little bit to understand what's going on. Anne Marie talks about growing and moving her pet sitting business, and we dive into the numbers you need to know to make sure that you're successful and know how your business is operating. Let's get started.
1: Absolutely. So um I've been a small business owner since 2017, um, with a strong passion for animals just about all of my life. Um we started in North Carolina, um, I'm an East Coast native from Virginia. Um, husband and I raised our family in North Carolina till 2022 when we decided to pick up and move everything to Colorado on a little bit of a whim. Um, So uh it's been quite a journey for us the last year or so now. Um I had my animal science degree in 1999 from Virginia Tech, so I've been in animal care just all my life, um, certainly my professional career. Uh, I've worked everything from being a trail guide and wrangler in national parks to horseback riding trails, uh, a riding instructor, a livery groom, uh, vet tech for large and small animal clinics. So it has been really every part of my life um, for us. I got started in 2017 when I decided to go from a stay-at-home parent to a pet sitter, who just wanted a little bit of extra money um, now that my kids were in school <laughs> <laughs> it just exploded uh, from there it was quickly went from a part time business to a full-time business in a few months
0: yeah you you had experienced some pretty rapid growth um over the course of five years uh, out in North carolina what why do you think that was
1: uh lots of different reasons for us um uh, we went from a startup with just me solo in 2017 to almost six figures by 2022, and nine part-time pet sitting staff. Um, at that time, we were—it was a great time um, for us in 2017. The pet industry was exploding. Um, we were seeing it grow from 2010 to 2019, from a 48 billion dollar industry to almost 72 billion dollars. So huge growth there when the pandemic hit in 2020. Um, We saw lots of families get new pets. I mean, we heard the stories about the shelters that were emptying because people were adopting left and right. And for us, that just fueled a lot of growth in our area. Um, We almost doubled our gross income between 2020 and 2022 um, at that point. We were also located in a prime spot in North Carolina. We were in a suburb of Raleigh um, it was one of the most popular places to live, uh, in the U.S. In fact, the town that we serviced in Fuquay Verena, North Carolina was just named in the top 15% of places to raise a family in the U.S. Um, and so we saw a lot of people moving to the area over those years. We were perfectly situated geographically between the beach and the mountains. So when the pandemic hit, we, our clientele for vacation clients were still able to travel. Um, to either location and still be in relative isolation. So we maintained about 60, 65% of our normal business in 2020, despite the shutdowns that a lot of the U.S. saw. Um, Our community, we were very active um, participants in our community for the 16 years that we lived there. Um, I was a member of the PTA um local community boards and spent a lot of time with our Chamber of Commerce um, just as a volunteer. So that exposure really helped to build uh, my brand identity when we started the pet sitting business there. We worked really hard to build a business that felt like a family um, for both our staff and our clients. And I made it a point to make sure everybody always felt welcome and that we were always working as a team. Um, and I think that in a small suburban community environment really helped us um, in terms of gleaning our clientele.
0: Well, and that that's, brings up a really important factor of, Location does matter, even in a service industry, even in a service business, where, and especially for those of us who are starting a business where we live, right? we're not moving to a particular area, we're not planning and, and scoping out areas of like, oh, that's, that'd be a great place to live. It can seem a little like, well, this is just where I live, right? I don't know. And we may be familiar with the area, but we might not be exactly intimately knowledgeable of the dynamics of the area. So when you, you know, and and part of that is just being really connected with the community to get a pulse for what's going on, how it lives, you know, what drives the industry, where people's incomes are. And, and we have to have a really good understanding of that to make the most out of this kind of business.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that sort of connection that you have with people, uh, with that community makes a big difference in my opinion
0: when you talked about building a brand through that, was that building, were were you conscious of how people perceived you and the kind of business were you running or were you intentionally trying to set the tone and the talking points?
1: Um, Absolutely. Um, So when I first started my business, we were um, known as um, a a different name and we switched it within a year to the pet professionals um, because I wanted to be seen Apart from a lot of hobby sitters that were growing. I mean, in 2017, we were seeing the growth of WAG and Rover. Um, people were coming into the industry as pet sitters, um, almost in droves in those mm-hmm. times. And so being seen as professionals was important to us. And we focused on that identity, um, doing lots of education, Um you know, I mean, it went down from everywhere to the colors we chose for our, our logo, um, how we positioned ourselves in the community as experts. Um, the, the tone of voice we used when we communicated with people was from a point of expertise rather than, um, cute, cuddly and, uh, younger. Um, so that I think definitely helped us from there. It was very intentional for us.
0: Yeah, that tone of voice is really difficult to, to nail. Uh, and because I know just for, for us personally, trying to walk that line between connecting with the pet owner at the level where they are of the cute, cuddly, smooshy gooey, you know, you know, almost baby talk voice. Like that, that's definitely one way to communicate with somebody versus the more straight talking forward to the point. Uh, it's it's hard to describe exactly that, but I, you know, but that more professional tone that comes in, and I think some mm-hmm. people may steer clear from that because they don't want to feel impersonal. Because it can feel like that of when you start talking in like corporate speak, right? Where you're like, oh, like <laughs> it's, yes. it is, it is, it's hard to walk that line <laughs> between wanting to connect with people, but also wanting to be viewed to be be taken seriously.
1: Yes, it, it, it was. And, um, I am the furthest that there is from a marketing person. So it was a really difficult for me to, to grasp branding and identity. Um, I had a fantastic team that helped us get to that point. Um, but yes, it can be hard to be expert and not cold, Um, it, it was definitely more difficult that way. I think being in the animal industry helps because it lends you to the, to the warmth already, but, Mm. um, certainly a fine line.
0: Yeah. And I guess, you know, for, you know, kind of looking at how, you know, language other people are using, or uh, I like looking to other industries just to see how people talk Mm -hmm. in, in the tone of voice they use, especially other service industries that, that have a degree of that professionalism, you know, like housekeeping services or, um, all sorts of re- repair companies or things like that. Like they, there, there is this, they, they understand that professionalism, that quality that people are looking for, that respect that they want to receive from their clients. And so kind of borrowing some of that tone and intentionality, I think is really important for us as we consider how we're viewed in our community. At the beginning, you mentioned that you had moved from North Carolina to Colorado on a, on a whim. Uh, so what, <laughs> what was the, <laughs> what, what was the transition like, uh, kind of across the country there?
1: Um, so it was insane. I do not recommend it in the fashion that we did. Um, (laughs) We were, (laughs) Uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, we were in a place, um, both financially and with our family, uh, that it made sense that if we wanted to move where we were, um, now was a good time. Our kids had been in virtual school for two years and my oldest was getting ready to transition into high school. So if we were ever going to make a move, um, find a different place to live now was the only time to do it. Um, we decided very quickly that Colorado was where we wanted to be in early 2022. We took a trip in February to come out to the state to, to tour the area, um, decided then that this is where we wanted to be. By April, we had our house on the market. By May, it was sold. And by June, we had the house packed up and we were driving uh, (laughs) cross-country for this. So it was uh, just pure insanity uh, to that. It was a very fast move. Um, Because of that, we decided that the best thing for our business in North Carolina was to sell it. Mm. Um, While my intentions in the very beginning had always been to build that business to be passive income and a retirement source uh, for us, we were not there yet for me to be that absent and that far away um, from the business in Colorado and manage it from North Carolina. We were exceptionally fortunate that uh, we had a pet, one of our uh, employees decided to take on the business for us. Um, so that helped tremendously and getting it sold.
0: Yeah, someone who's already intimately knowledgeable of the business and how it works and how it operates, you already have a relationship with them. But you know, when you when you look at how your long-term plan for the business of going, man, this is something that I'm trying to build, I'm trying to set up that's going to be, you know, really important for years down the line and and I have this dream for this business. What was it like shifting over to something different? Did you have to you know look at you know change retirement plans or you know how did how did you walk through that that discussion because that's a that's not an insignificant thing to to do
1: yes it it was really difficult um for me both emotionally um to to let go of of that goal um for the business it was a baby that i had nursed from you know infancy to to this point over 5 years so uh Sending it off was was a hard decision. Um, it was certainly it factored into our family discussion of moving. Um, that was a big part. Um, uh, you know, it changed uh, uh, home finances for us and we had to adjust to that. Um, we knew that coming to Colorado, we were probably not going to build a similar business here. Um uh, which is interesting. And I'll get into a little bit more of that too. But in terms of deciding to sell and making that emotional decision, it was hard. It it was not when we came by easily. Um, and I still flip flop about whether we made the right decision. And I think that's always a, a factor when you own a business like this. There will always be questions of what you did, what it's right, what it's not, and how it works out. We're grateful where we are now. Um, so, so it's been good.
0: It, it, it is hard to 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 judge of your deci- past decisions, but while recognizing the limitations that you had on yourself at that time, because I know Megan and I have moved a couple of times and each time we moved, we, we just straight up let the business go. We just closed everything down and we moved to another occasion. Looking back now, we're going, oh my gosh, could you imagine where we would be if we had left something behind or if we had tried to sell it? But it's like, we didn't know about that at that time. We, and I, we weren't, we weren't, you know, knowledgeable, mature enough, ready to to go through that process at that time. So mm-hmm. we have to just sit back and go. Okay, thankful for that experience. It set us up for a lot of success now, and I know what I can do can do differently here. But it, yeah, you, you're right. Sometimes you do sit though and go re- when you're putting your head to sleep at night, going reviewing some of those past business decisions. Going, man, what if? What if? Yeah. And that, that 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 is part of it. And just having to recognize, no, like that was for a purpose. And I, I have you. You have to, at the end of the day, decide to move forward from that onto onto the next thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: um, and that's where we're at now. I mean, you know, could we have managed it from afar? Maybe we don't know. Um, would I have? But I'm grateful that it succeeded past me, and that we left a little bit of legacy uh, behind us in North Carolina for sure.
0: Yeah. Now, when you when you made that move, um, you, you mentioned about you know. Did you know immediately that you want to start another pet sitting company when you moved to Colorado? And and if so, what kind of prep work or any did you did you do prior to you getting feet on the ground at your new location?
1: Um so yes and no. Um I am not one to sit on my laurels. Um I stay busy no matter uh where I am and what I do and what I say. Um, <laughs> um, we gave ourselves um a good 60 days here to get our kids settled and in school without really moving towards um, anything in particular. I knew that I would start a business. I was not entirely sure what that would look like. Um, But knowing that pet sitting was probably somewhere in that mix, um, certainly before we moved, when we made the decision we were coming here back in February of last year, I started getting involved in local community groups here in the areas that we were interested in so that I could get a feel for what uh, local communities were doing. And that meant looking at locations anywhere from Fort Collins to to Colorado Springs, which is sort of the whole eastern sideboard (laughs) of Colorado, if you know the area. Um, So we... We narrowed down our search. We're just north of Colorado Springs here. And once we made that decision, I got even more involved in the communities here. I connected with other pet sitters um, that were in the area. I did research on who was operating, who had established businesses um, nearby, just to know and get kind of a sense uh, for what was going on in the pet sitting industry here. Um, And that helped a lot with getting some, some framework around what we decided to eventually do.
0: I want to focus on what you started off by saying they were going, you gave yourself 60 days to get settled. And I think that that is so critical to these kind of moves and changes because how often in our lives do we go from one thing to the next, 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 without ever having a chance to breathe and collect ourselves and really go, oh, okay. Now that I have a clear head, you know maybe maybe not all the boxes are unpacked yet, and I still don't know where I packed the the pancake flipper. But you know, I I I have that big stress out of my out of my life right now, and I can fully focus on all of this as opposed to trying to rush right in and go. I have to make all these decisions. I've got to do this, and that feeling of I have to be rushed. I must be doing because you know you even said like you like to be busy, and and that's what a lot of us are. We feel like we've got to have all we always. got to be juggling something. If I'm not juggling something, then what am I even doing? Right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest lessons that I think any entrepreneur or business owner learns uh, with their business is uh, when to say no when to back off because it's very easy to get burnt out very quickly when you just run headlong into the next big project. Um, And that was something that that I certainly struggled with in the first couple of years of my uh, first business in North Carolina was taking on too much work. Um, So I had learned that lesson and learned that we needed to have some breathing room. Um, And certainly there was an emotional toll of leaving uh, the pet professionals in North Carolina behind. And I needed to kind of let that release happen um, before I started something new.
0: Yeah, being okay to grieve that, right? Because you're, you're grieving the loss of those relationships, those connections. You're also probably still grieving the, the loss, it, it, I'm going to say that word, but of the business of what, you know, mm-hmm. it didn't quite work out, which you had originally planned. So there was a grief through that that you had to allow yourself to, because if you didn't, you're, then you've got this unresolved stuff that you're bringing and now you're reacting out of, uh, you know, unre- uh, unspoken uh, assumptions and expectations. And it, it really does spiral from there when you don't give yourself to, that time to, to breathe and collect. You started one business in North Carolina. Did you do anything different when you started your business in in Colorado?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, very much so. <laughs> um so um I had by the time we left North Carolina, I was pretty much out of my business and managing it and not in the field. I mean, I needed to be that um in order to sell it. It had to be turnkey for the next person to take over. Um And I really needed to remove myself to see what the business would do and stand on its own two feet without me. Um, so in moving, I discovered that I was not as passionate uh, about working as many hours as would be required for starting up a full time pet sitting business here. Mm -hmm. Um, I had gotten used to having my weekends and holidays back, uh, and the, the work life balance of not being gone from six in the morning till nine o'clock at night, most days. Um, So when we came here, I had to make the decision of whether or not I was going to continue with pet sitting full-time or have it just be a part-time dalliance of sorts. So it's a much smaller part of um, my life these days. I have a a select few clientele. Um, I definitely run my business as a little bit more of a boutique pet sitting business um, with not really big plans to grow it just yet. Um, That may come in the future. Uh, We'll we'll have to think about that as things go. But wanting to stay in the pet sitting world. um, I I love the people that I meet. I love the industry. Um, I love the sense of entrepreneurship that comes with being a small or micro business, such as most pet sitters are. Um, we all know you wear all the hats all the time, um, that it's a busy, hectic lifestyle, um, juggling both the work and the managing of the business. And I wanted to stay involved in that process some way. So then came our bookkeeping business that we decided to do alongside our <laughs> pet sitting. Um, not necessarily the two things you think go together. Um, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you think pet sitters, but a lot of people fall into the industry without a lot of business background. And I see that it's a place, um, the bookkeeping side of pet sitters or any pet care business um, is not fully supported in our industry. I don't see a lot of bookkeepers. I don't see a lot of talk about um, bookkeeping or accounting practices. It's just not common um, in the conversations that pet sitters have amongst ourselves with this. So it felt like an easy place to get started.
0: (laughs) Now, was that something that you had um, experience with before? Did you develop those skills from running your own business or did you just see a need and and go get educated about that?
1: Um, It it was something I learned uh, really by the seat of my pants and owning a business. Um, I have always been a numbers person. Math came easy for me. So it was a place where I didn't feel the need to outsource it when I was doing it myself um, I got very good at it. Um, it was uh, an easy part for me to do. Mm. Um, so I decided to 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 see if that was a, a viable avenue um, when I got started. I found um, a bookkeeping course, a certification course that I could take. so in August of 2022, so just about two months um, six weeks uh, after we got here, I decided to to see if that would be something I could do. Um, and a three-month course, I finished it in three weeks. So I thought, <laughs> I thought this is obviously something that I like to do. Um, yeah. I was motivated to do it. Uh, yeah. And then by October, I had my first client. So it, it, it again, started very quickly for me.
0: Have you heard of Time to Pet? Chris Chrisanne from Raining Cats and Dogs has this to say.
1: Becoming a Time to Pet client has been a game changer for us. We can give our pet services clients real-time cloud-based information they never imagined they'd be interested in. And most importantly, to me personally, I can better manage my company and look forward to more. And not a small thing, Time2Pet is responsive to my request for new features and modifications to existing ones.
0: If you're looking for new pet-sitting software, give Time2Pet a try. Listeners of our show save fifty percent off your first three months by visiting timebet slash confessional. You, know, you mentioned this is this is a numbers talk thing, and yes, I, I do recognize as well that that many times when we start having these conversations or people start thinking about this, the the, the glassy look comes on, the the staring off into the middle distance, the oh I'm real, I need to go polish something or dust something right now. I need to <laughs> so for you, what, what, when, when, when when people say. Know your numbers. Numbers for your business. What what does that mean to you?
1: Oh my gosh, it's everything. Uh, I, I don't think there's a single decision you can make in business without knowing what your numbers are. Um, can you hire employees? Do you have enough money to purchase additional software or equipment or expand in any fashion? Um, are there are there different avenues that your business can pick up different income streams? Like all of that revolves around knowing what your numbers are today to be able to make those informed decisions.
0: It really is powerful in order to, to do that, because there's the, there's the emotional side of us that wants to do things to help everybody, to do everything, to be all things, to all people. And then there's just the hard, cold reality of, at the end of the day, I have to put food on my table. And I Uh have to put, I have to repair my car and I have to pay for my, you know, my, my, my children's lunches. And I have to have this insurance. So we have to make sure our business works for us ultimately, right? Because it's that, that's a purpose that it is serving. Yes, it's to, to serve other people and to serve them with excellence and care for pets. But we get something back from that. And that is being able to afford uh, our lifestyle.
1: Absolutely, and um, that's one of the the prime tenets of my bookkeeping practice is to get people to think about what they need out of their job, out of their business um, before anything else takes place.
0: Well, and you mentioned accounting practices. Uh, are, what are, are there different forms of accounting, or different accounting practices that we just as a business need to be aware of and kind of understand the concepts around?
1: Sure. There are two main accounting bases. Um, The one most people are familiar with is a cash basis accounting, which basically um, says that in our bookkeeping, we're going to count the actual money payments that are received each day and the money we spend out of it as it happens. Um, The other accounting basis is called accrual counting. And that's a little bit more nuanced where it takes into account um, what you've sold in services, but maybe not necessarily what you've received in payments. Mm -hmm. So when you create an invoice for services uh, today that may not actually happen until a month or two from now, your accrual accounting takes that in as money that has already been earned. You've already sold it to your client. Um, In addition, any vendor bills that you maybe owe but have not yet paid on also come into account versus when you physically, um, cash accounting is when you physically exchange money hand to hand, whereas accrual is a
0: little more forward. But that's that real time coming, going in and out as we operate versus the accrual of, okay, well, this is might not going to happen for six months, or I've got, uh, you know, I've got these payments that I'm coming out that I've paid for services that I haven't yet rendered or haven't been yet rendered to me and trying to keep track of those. Is, is there a is there one better than the other uh, or one that fits more for the model for how most pet care services and businesses operate?
1: So I think most pet sitters would probably operate on a cash, a cash uh, basis accounting system. Um, it's a very, it's a simpler uh, one. And uh it can just depend on it. There's a tax advantage sometimes to using a cash accounting system because it's the money in hand versus money that may be coming later down the road. Um, so that's definitely a question to have with your accountant or CPA at a time. Um, accrual accounting is a little bit more granular of a look at your. Um, look at your business because it's taking into account um, either future money that is owed to you or money that you owe out. Um, So to me, it's a little bit more of a full picture look of your business. Um, But again, cash is simpler. Most people operate from that as a mindset. They think about the money that they've deposited into their bank versus the money that's going to come in later. Um, So it can be a bit of a personal decision um, for each business to choose which way they want to go.
0: And so that's a little bit about the difference between those different methods. Are are those something that we can go back and forth between uh, once we pick one, or do we have to stick with one once we've made that decision?
1: Uh, Businesses are required to pick one and stick with it. Um, There is an approval process with the IRS if you decide to change or your business changes and requiring you to uh, pick accrual counting, um, but most, most stick with it once they've chosen.
0: And is that you you stick with it within that fiscal year, or is that really like once you commit to cash or accrual, you have to stay that so it's consistent from year to year after that?
1: You have to stick with it so that it's consistent. Yes.
0: Okay. Can you give an example of when it would be when it would behoove us to make that switch? To let's say we start out with cash and go, okay, now it's time to do an accrual for us.
1: Sure. if you are making payments to vendors or collecting payments from your clients on a credit basis, um, it, some like if you are selling something on a term or a net fifteen terms or net thirty terms, that's those are some um, terms that people might be familiar with, meaning that you're not collecting payment for thirty days or fifteen days um, out. Or if you are now carrying inventory, um, so if you're selling a product and maintaining inventory, you need to account for the the, the cost of those items that are potentially being sold later down the road, for, you know, months later or, or such. Um, those are situations that you would need to use accrual accounting versus cash.
0: I'm glad that you talked about the products because I know many people jumped into the product world once COVID hit or are still trying to do that with things either they make or they're reselling. And so it's a reminder that not just do you have to go through and get maybe different licenses or start collecting sales tax and things, but the whole basis of your business accounting may have to change if that's where your business starts to head.
1: Exactly, and that that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle. A lot of people aren't really familiar with um, with that. Uh, it's it's just such a small little change that has to happen that has really big implications on your numbers. Um, for example, because you could be purchasing inventory or materials to make a product, such as a leash or a collar, in January, but you may not actually sell the end product until later in the year, such as July. August, September, um, depending on how your sales are are set up. Um, and you need to account for that difference in time for when you accrued the expense and then collected payment on the product.
0: Is there a percentage that we would look for as far as business accounting to go, okay, now it's time to switch. Let's say I've, I just made my first leash and I bought the products and I'm going to sell it. Does that mean I now need to make that switch immediately to accrual or do I need to wait until it makes up a, a higher percentage of my total business income and revenue?
1: I would double check with your CPA and accountant just to make sure. Um, but my guess is that it would need to be an immediate change. Uh, Because you really are changing sort of how you're collecting uh, that money and spending your money right away as soon as you're buying materials and product.
0: Yeah. Again, I, I think that's so important that we, as the business owners, have to remember that. Yeah, decisions are easy to make, right? We can make whatever decisions we want, but now there may there there are always implications for those decisions, and we've got to sit and go, okay. Now, <laughs> now that I've done this, what am I legally obligated to do, and all that, <laughs> and financially responsible for? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And it's one of the biggest benefits of having um, team members that you can reach out to um, and get the best advice from, whether it's a business consultant or a um, financial consultant or a CPA. I mean, those people have tremendous value, not just in the one time that you use their services for tax preparation, but in building a relationship and consulting with them on, on these big changes to your business.
0: Again, it's it's about mindset and and really I th- I think for that kind of decision it's 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 possibly running both of them and really saying how is my business operating what's going to optimize this but also what's something that I'm going to be able to stick to as the business owner for this is a hat that I'm choosing to wear of like which can I actively keep up with as well
1: absolutely um and and you you talked about uh, mindset so I I do think that at some point you're going to choose one or the other because it does kind of rely on how you see your business and how you operate your business. If you are forward thinking, if you are looking at, if you have lots of bills that need to be paid uh, for your business, you know, on terms like a net 30 terms or things like that, then you're going to want to know what you owe throughout the year. Uh, most pet sitters don't run that way um we just don't have a lot of expenses that we're paying on credit um for them and a lot of uh clientele is is paying pretty close to when the invoicing is done um so the i think they are different enough in the way that you have to think about your business that you're going to eventually find that you choose one or the other to do.
0: Well, so let's walk through an example, and and this will be be fun to do in an audio program. Uh, but just <laughs> from, <laughs> everyone, break out your pen and paper, get an Excel spreadsheet, open QuickBooks, let's do this. Now, uh, <laughs> I just I from your from your perspective, Anne Marie, uh, let's say my business pulls in a hundred dollars. Walk from your mindset and how you think about this. What walk us through what happens to that hundred dollars as it comes into our business and in ways that we need to make sure that we account for it? Because I know, I I know personally that I get a hundred dollars, but I don't actually get a hundred (laughs) dollars, right?
1: That's right. Um, and this may be. A little hard to hear for some people because we don't actually keep quite a bit of that $100 unless you are um, really good with your expenses. Uh, but first thing we need to know is how, what did it cost us to get that $100? Did we pay any advertising? Did we pay an employee to do the service? Um did we have to buy any supplies for us to complete it? Um, those are all expenses um, that come out of the money that we make, first and foremost. Um, then we have to talk about taxes, um, <laughs> self-employment taxes, um, because I, you know some people are used to getting a paycheck every, every week um, when you're self-employed. Um, we don't take taxes out of your paychecks. Um, we have to pay that at the end of the year, or we're paying it multiple times, you know, prepaying it through the year. But you have to assume that some taxes come out of that $100. Um, usually anywhere between 20 and 30% um, has to go towards taxes. So setting that aside. And then you have to pay yourself. I mean, what's the amount that you get to keep or want to keep out of that $100? Um so you need to, to, I think you proactively need to know that number, what your profit should be and how much you want to pay yourself out of each hundred dollars. Um, I very much like uh, the profit first mentality. It's a book written by Mike Um, fantastic author, fantastic um, premise to flipping the idea that uh, I think a lot of business owners think we pay expenses first. And then we get to pay ourselves out of whatever is left over. And the profit first mentality says, nope, I want to decide how much I want to make first. And I take that out first. And then whatever I have left over has to pay for my expenses. And we budget those um, at the end afterwards. And so I, I think that that's a, a good shift that a lot of uh, small business owners um, need to make for their business to be profitable for them for it to happen. So that's kind of a long roundabout uh, answer to your question of $100. How do we determine what we get to keep? So take out your profit first, then determine what your expenses are for that, and then take out your taxes from there.
0: And I think it is important to note that when you hear, oh, take out profit first, that's not just a magical number that we get to come up with, right? There, there are limitations, there are strictures that are placed on that, given some of the things that we, as you mentioned earlier, of going, okay, it cost me something to make that $100. So I, I do have to budget for that and give a hard look at that. And, and this really hits the road when you realize of going, oh, I'm I'm going to charge $100 for this service. but. Oh, it actually cost me, you know, eighty dollars to do that because I had to buy that new equipment. I did all that drive time back and forth, and I had to buy some more supplies, right? And you're going, okay, well, I didn't actually. That that's actually not as profitable as I thought it was because then I still have taxes on top of that and everything else. So you end up in a spot where once when you do this, you see. It really exactly how much you are able to take home. Cause there's that too of going, okay, how much do I want to versus how much am I able to? And how do I make those match? And that's that process of of budgeting and refining.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the 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 puzzle piece that I love with it. Um, you know, it's a bit it's, it it sounds like a complicated math problem. And, and to a degree, it is. But when you start to track your numbers, and you start to understand your business, and where your money is going, you are able to drill down into some of those more specific questions about what can I afford? How much can I do? Um, and where am I going to be in a couple of months, um, or even a couple of years down the road to make even bigger choices about where my business goes?
0: One of the aspects of that, of how much it cost us to get that hundred dollars, was you know the 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 client acquisition for that client and that that one I know can be also pretty nebulous because let's say you know I throw two hundred bucks at a Facebook ad, um, how how do I how do I start accounting for the clientele that come from that so I can put a dollar figure on that so I'm, I make sure that that goes into my budget for next time.
1: Absolutely. So being able to track where your clients come from, if we're talking about an advertising and marketing um, program with your business and being able to track those expenses uh, that come with it. I think the key piece is being able to capture that information when a new client comes to you, when you first um, have a conversation with them about your services is to know how did they find you? Um, where did they come from? Uh was it somebody that you met on the street and handed a business card? Or was it somebody who saw um you on Facebook or Instagram social media? Um and that can really dictate, again, where you choose to spend your money. If you've got 90 out of a hundred clients coming from Facebook, I'm not gonna spend my money on print media. Um, you know, sales flyers, it's, it's going to be on Facebook ads because I know those numbers. I've tracked it. I've, I've captured that information as it comes in.
0: Yeah. And so what we're doing here is we're going, okay, I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on Facebook ads. And the first person that comes to me that says they found me through a Facebook ad, technically, I guess that was a hundred dollars for that first client. Right, But but then the second client that comes up, okay, that was $50 for that client. And then the third, and we're just taking the 100 dividing by how many clients we get from that over a set period of time so we can really understand the reach that that had. And this is where you can start to see as a business owner going, okay, wow, the $100, that got me 300 clients. Wow, that was a really good ad spend. But man, I paid $5,000 for that billboard and I got $1 right like okay well the five that $5000 client you better you better make sure that one lasts you for 30 years right like you know? right
1: absolutely uh, you know and the other side of that is tracking how much that client brings in for you too like that's yeah. the other half of that puzzle so you spent x dollars to get them if they use you once they're not a very valuable client but if they stay with you over the next 5 years and they use you you know 6 to 10 times a year that's a valuable client that you've gained through hopefully not so much.
0: Well, and I guess you know and that that becomes a column in a spreadsheet of how they found you. Because then what you can do is you can break that out and go, okay, my Facebook clients tend to spend this average dollar with me. So then I can start getting the average cost to acquire and the average revenue that that person brings to me, and you can start comparing and go, okay, well this ad spend is a bit higher per client. But they spend 1.3 times the amount that the lower ads do because of how they reach or the demographic that that's getting to. That's worth it for me to pay a little bit more because I get a little bit more from that. And now we start making some super powerful decisions on where we direct those our precious dollars to, to go work for us
1: yeah absolutely. I mean, I mean, just in that one example, you can see the power that those numbers bring to you in being able to make those informed decisions
0: Now, one of your services that you offer is something called a a a historical cleanup. Uh, and I am curious about what this is and what this looks like for a business.
1: Sure. So let me start by saying, um bookkeeping in general is the accurate financial records of your business. So it's making sure that we account for all your income, all of your expenses, all of your liabilities, and the investment you have in your business in a very brief nutshell. What what my monthly bookkeeping looks like is just categorizing transactions each month, um, reconciling against your bank account and preparing financial reports and doing some advising with each client. And historical cleanup... Is looking at past data, not current. Um, so an example would be either somebody who's had done no bookkeeping. They don't have any system in place and we need to build their system for a set amount of time, whether it's the year prior or it could be just a couple. If we're starting in June, maybe we need to build up what January and June looked like. Prior to when we begin. So that historical cleanup is really collecting all of the financial information that you can provide your bank statements, your credit card statements, um, expense receipts, things like that. And we build a financial Set of books for you from that. Uh, it can also mean somebody who has an accounting system, but maybe either hasn't kept up with it on a regular basis, or they have some errors in there that we need to clean up um, so that their books are as accurate um, and fresh as they can be for
0: you. Well, that's that's important to know if somebody who's going okay. I'm just I'm just starting. I'm just interested in this thing about bookkeeping or accounting, and I haven't really been doing a good job about this. To understand that. Um, We can sit down with existing data, existing bank statements, existing receipts and all of that, and and build that. So we don't have to go, okay, well, the past seven years are lost. I guess I just have to start from right now moving forward going, no, no, there is a way to capture this so that you can get this look back data so that you can get as as accurate as possible so you don't have to wait any longer.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and if you want your books to be that accurate, it's important that your past data is as cleaned up as it possibly can. I mean, there, you can, if everything is really messed up or you really don't have, um, the, the data to build that information, if we no longer have receipts, if we don't have access to, to bank records or statements for any reason whatsoever, um, we can start fresh today and just move forward. I mean, there is a a benefit to just say, regardless of where I'm at now, I'm going to do better going forward and and keep that forward motion going. But a lot of people will need a historical cleanup because they need tax information to file their taxes in April. So they need 2022 cleaned up and ready to go. Um, So that's definitely something that we can do. And I recommend having back past data Cleaned up if if we can first,
0: right? Right now, if somebody's interested in in starting now, what are some numbers that we really need to be paying just close attention to? If somebody's just dipping their toe into this and isn't ready for a big historical lookup, but they just want to start get, capturing some information right now,
1: absolutely. So. F- First tips that I have are to separate personal and business finances as best you can, um, because that's going to be the easiest way for you to pull and track business uh information. Um things that you want to know is 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 to be able to track how much income you're making. Um if you have multiple streams of income, if you have multiple businesses, um that are tied together. Um, like we see pet sitters who also make collars and leashes. So they have a, you know, a, a store component, a commerce side to it. We want to be able to track all of that data, all of that income together. We also want to track all of your expenses. Anything that relates to your business, um, growing your business, um, uh, making your business work, um, needs to be tracked with receipts, um, and entries for those expenses as well. When we talk about commingling income, that's someone who sends all of their business income to a personal bank account or spends business money for personal expenses. Um, that can really muddy the waters when you want to look at what your business is doing, how much you're making and what you can afford to do with your business. Um, so my first piece of advice to anybody coming to me is to make sure that you are separating those two pieces Um for yourself. So whether you have a business bank account that is separate from your personal and all of your business income goes into there, or you have a business credit card that you use for expenses.
0: Right. Well, so is, is that really a concern for, for tax purposes or for business decision purposes or for both?
1: A little bit for both. I'd say it's more for your business decision making. Um, and when you're talking about having someone else help you with your numbers, there is a privacy concern with having your personal finances mixed with your business. Mm. It makes it difficult um, to share some of that information. But in general, it's really difficult for you to see your numbers and to keep track of them when it's mixed in with everything else from day-to-day activity. Um, It's hard for you to know how much you brought in. Specifically, because you need specific numbers. You need to be able to tie these numbers to to decisions you're going to make.
0: And that's the important part of it. There's there's this tying it to decisions. I love how you put that because that, that is what we're basically boiling this down to of going, well, I decided to buy that or I decided to plan for something how can I plan for that? And I, I, I want to dive into that here just a minute, but going, all these are decisions, whether to spend or to save, and I need to be able to tie those together. And if you're scrolling through and going, well, no, that was, that was eggs for that breakfast. And oh, no, there, there's where I bought the leash and, and that's over here. And well, those are the shoes. And, and this is, that was my electricity bill. And all of a sudden, not just physically cluttered, but now mentally cluttered as, as well of we're trying to just tease that apart instead of having a nice separation of going, I know when I log into this account and I'm looking at this spreadsheet, it's only this and I can be really laser focused versus the, the, the personal budget, which is still important, right? Everybody do a personal budget, like that's necessary, but you need to make decisions uh, you know, separately between business and your, your personal side.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and there's a mindset that when it's not pulled out separately, we lose track of it. We're not paying attention to it. Um, and, and I think anybody who has struggled with a spending habit knows that feeling that it's hard to know what you've spent if you're not looking at those numbers on a regular basis to see how you're doing. Yeah. Like I just feel like you can't make adjustments without knowing where you're at. <laughs>
0: Our friends at Pet Perennials make it easy to send a heartfelt condolence gift directly to someone with a broken heart. They have this awesome direct-to-consumer gift model that takes the effort off of us and ensures a thoughtful, personalized Simply gift reaches your client or employee on our behalf. All gift packages include a handwritten card, colorful gift wrap, and shipping fees across both the U.S. and Canada. They also offer an array of milestone gifts and greeting cards that can be sent to celebrate birthdays, extend get-well wishes, and welcome new and rescued pets. Additionally, there are gift choices in case you need to send a sympathy gift in memory of a special human client or celebrate a pregnancy, engagement, or wedding of a pet lover. If you're interested, register for a free business gift perks account to unlock the all-inclusive discounted package prices. Since the service is used on an as-needed basis, there are no monthly or annual obligations or minimum purchase. Learn more at PetPornials.com, check out their business programs, or register for that free gift perks account by using the link in the show notes. And One of those adjustments that I know a lot of people are, are looking at right now and trying to consider is, is hiring. So how, mm-hmm. how do we look at our numbers and go, oh yes, I can hire somebody for my business? Or is that even an appropriate question to start with?
1: So there's lots of variables that, that can occur with that. Um, the first is to know whether or not your company is profitable. Are you making money or are you losing money? Um, do you know what your net income in is? And net income is your full income minus your expenses. So what's left over after your business operates? Um, mm. then you need to know how much you're taking out for yourself from that net income? What are you removing from the business, uh, for your own expenses, your own, uh, paychecks, so to speak. And is there any leftover funds after that? Um, is your business growing? Like, are you, are, are you, is your business shrinking? Are you losing clients and reducing your income month over month? Or are you continuing to grow and have more room? Um, these are all questions that we ask from the beginning. Um, knowing your profit margins is another key piece to this. So knowing per service that you provide and what you're spending to perform that service, um, is there money left over? So that's a very granular look at your numbers that's hard to determine if you're just doing this by feel, um, mm-hmm. if you're guessing at it. Um, because when you bring on new employees, there is an upfront expense to that whether it's the job ads that you're paying for the amount of time that you're paying them to train a new employee. So whether or not actually bringing in, um, you know, uh, service money for you, you're just spending that time to get them up to speed. All of that takes into account. Do you have that in your budget, uh, your business budget to, to afford that front end expense before they start earning money for you?
0: Right. And then that's something that we have to to have budgeted for, right? And know, okay, I know every time I bring an employee it's three hundred dollars. It's five hundred dollars once I pay for the the you know, access to the software and their insurance and their training and the equipment that I'm getting them and building that out and then just looking. Okay, because you know what we'd do is go, okay, I'm gonna spend that on this person. The next question for us is always okay, how how many How many visits does that person have to do to, to to pay off that initial investment and then start, you know, making it profitable for the company? And, and you, but that comes into the the growth of the business too. And I think another Mm -hmm. important question is to really ask, what's the purpose of this employee, right? Is, are they to replace me? Or are they to complement me and help me expand in addition to the work that I'm investing? Because that's that's kind of a different equation to know, okay, if they're trying to replace me entirely, well, that's you know, I I know I'm gonna have to have a lot more work or there's gonna have to be a lot more, you know, cost or or price increases associated with that.
1: Absolutely. So a business owner who works out in the field sort of supplements or subsidizes their employees, uh, the return on an employee's work, uh, because you're not paying out um, hourly wages for the work that you're performing. Um, So when you look at what an employee costs you um, and what you're paying out for that versus the income that they're bringing in, it can get a little bit skewed when you're in the field and doing that. So when you talk about taking yourself out, you think about all of the work that the business owner does, and there's no true there's some cost to it but not for an employee cost yeah. um with that amount of work and so you're automatically taking out sometimes as much as 40 or 60 percent of that income that you're providing um with a new employee that comes in with all of the costs associated with them um so you have to be able to afford that um Going straight into it, if you're pulling yourself out, if you're already out of the business, it's a little bit easier equation to know um, how you're doing. But for someone who's growing their business and trying to to pull themselves out of it, it can get a comp- become a complicated question to ask and yeah, look at.
0: It really can to know what you're comfortable with, right? How much of a how much of a hit can you take to that income to dedicate to this new person that you're bringing on, but recognizing that. The the, the the cost of having them is the the cost for is it is an opportunity cost to grow the business and actually make more revenue at the end of the day
1: yes absolutely and one other piece that I want to make is that we, I, I Make it sound like this is an absolute numbers decision that's black and white, hard and fast. And it's not. Um, there is still a lot of variables that play into this. And there's some, um, leap of faith that has to happen when we make some of these decisions. But when we track what is happening with our numbers, when we look at, okay, this is what we hope is going to happen. And then these are the actual numbers that occurred. Do they match? Do they, do they line up to where I want them to be? Or are there further adjustments that we need to make, whether it's reducing costs, um, changing our pricing model for our business, uh, to accommodate for employees or whatever it is that you're adding to your business? Um, it, it is very much a back and forth, uh, thing that happens. It's not, yes, we make this decision. Yes, we know it's going to work. It might not. We may have to adjust as we go on, but we don't know that unless we're tracking. Again, those numbers.
0: <laughs> well, right. Because, I mean, as, as, you, as you talked about your, your experience in North Carolina, when you had this, what, almost doubling of the business bet- over the course of two years, like tracking and seeing that kind of business growth, you know, going, ooh, if my business doubles again, um, I can't double myself again. Okay, right, right. <laughs> right, or I right. might not, or or I might not want to, right? Getting this, it's not a numbers thing. It's going, man, I don't want to be in the field that much, or I'd rather be dedicated to this thing. So, if we experience this double, well, that would be more than enough to hire, you know, two other people part time to come on and take on those visits, so that I could do and focus on these other aspects of the business. So then there's this. In addition to the revenue planning, there's now going. What? Do, how do I see myself as the business owner in this? And what roles do I want to play? And how do I link those with with my hiring and my growth decisions?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, we need to to think about. Again, I think you mentioned before knowing what you want out of your business, what your goals are for yourself as the business owner. Why are you putting in all of this work? And that really dictates kind of where your business grows for you. I mean, there are some business owners out there that that don't want to grow, that are very comfortable with their business where it is, and that's enough for them. And then there are other business owners who... Absolutely don't want to be in the field. They want to manage from behind the scenes and, and grow as big as they possibly can in their area. Um, and there's room for, for everybody in this industry for, for that. Um, so knowing that piece of the puzzle really can dictate, um, a lot of how you, how you plan for your business too.
0: Yeah, because apart from desiring to grow or or hire people, as we've seen in the past year and change, uh, prices certainly do go up. Right, cost of living doesn't change. Uh, well, it does change. It goes up, and so, <laughs> I should say. So we we need to be we need to be what we need to be accounting for those and we need to be knowing our numbers to knowing if we're still okay to know okay you know um you know let's say i decide i'm going to take 30% of whatever comes in that's going to be funneled to me and the rest goes to my business well it, is that still going to be okay is 30% of $25 30% of $100 still okay 3 years from now or do i need to either take a larger increase of the percent or do i need to rate my prices so i can keep up with this as well and 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 figuring out how we need to modulate that as business? Business owners, so we can keep up with with just price and, and cost of living increases as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we're seeing a huge uh, change in um, wage rates for employees. So if that's a process that you're going, I mean that's that's a big conversation that's happening right now um, in our landscape that uh, will significantly um, can significantly impact uh, your choices that you make on
0: hiring and growing. Yeah. Yeah, to know, oh wow, like everybody needs everybody's wanting, you know, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen dollars an hour given my numbers, I can't pay that and then still have money left over to pay my personal bills at this time. So how do I walk through that? What does that look like for me? How do I raise prices? How do I increase business revenue to make that work? And then that's where the strategic planning comes in to reach for that goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's where your numbers matter, uh, being able to, to know, uh, what you're spending where, what percentages, um, are being taken out for things. Um, because it's, it's nothing is static in entrepreneurship and business ownership. It, it always, there is always something that is changing and adjusting, um, whether it's something out, in the field, in the world, or whether it's numbers uh, behind the books.
0: Well, in, in those books, I know one of the one of the most fundamental aspects of accounting and, and bookkeeping is a is a profit and loss statement. But this is yet another thing where it looks like witchcraft and wizardry to a lot of people. <laughs> so, w- walk us through what that is and really how to read it and use it.
1: Absolutely. So, a profit and loss statement is truly a depiction of all of your income for a period of time. And all of the expenses that you um have have had come through your business, and so it's a it's a math equation. We have income on the top minus all of your expenses, and at the bottom it gives you your net income. Mm-hmm. This is the the amount that is left over after everything that you've spent money on um, and we can look at that for a year. We can look at that for a month um it It is a period of time, sort of a a snapshot of what your business looked like
0: in that uh, moment. How, how do we use these in decision-making? Because people may go, okay, great. Well, I know how much I have left over. I guess that comes to me. Like, what, is that? What, are, what are some ways that this can actually influence my decisions?
1: So this is going to be where you build your budget for your business. Um, knowing what you're spending your money on, knowing your expenses um, as they come and go out of your business. Some things are very regular expenses. Some things happen once a year. Um, knowing where they fall uh, month to month um, will really help you judge Uh, uh, where you can have further expenses um, or where you need to budget just to know that something is coming up. Um, I think most people are are familiar with building a personal budget um, and a a profit and loss is very similar to that where we're looking at, um, again, where all of your money comes from, all of your income from your sales, your services um, that you're out there and knowing whether you have lean months, months where you maybe bring in a lot less, um, we all know that pet sitting is is cyclical. Um, we see a, a a huge bump in service sales in the summertime around holidays, um less so in our colder uh, months when people travel a little bit less um, and so knowing the ebbs and flows of your income and the ebbs and flows of your expenses will help you project um what you can do in the future.
0: Right, so that on those those months that are they're doing really well, right we're not taking everything out of that because we have to set some aside for those lean months because you know i it has happened. I know it you know maybe it's when you signed up for your insurance or when you know your software bill is due, but if those fall in a particularly lean month and it's always lean, but now you've got insurance and software both due that same month, that money has to come from somewhere, and it needs to come from the previous months. That we're now setting aside to allocate for that time period where we know, wow, this month I have a lot of expenses and my income is always low. So that means I'm preparing for that little by little each month to get ready for that.
1: Exactly. Um, You know, big things that we see are uh, maybe yearly insurance premiums that need to be paid once a year. um, And those are usually a good chunk of change. and so knowing when you plan that, some of us have a choice of when we start a new premium plan, um, to have it happen in a good month, but a lot of times we don't. Um, it's whenever we sign up for the service. Um, and there are, are things like that that can happen and can really put you out of whack if you're not prepared and looking ahead for them.
0: Right, because then you can start comparing month to month, and now you can start getting some of these growth trajectories as well. Of for both <laughs> growth trajectories for both income and expenses, right? Because you can go, man, this May, man, I spent a lot this May, and last month I didn't spend, or last May I didn't spend a whole lot. Then I what what happened in the interim time?
1: Absolutely, and and uh, to your point, being able to compare not just April to May. But May of 2022 to May of 2023 is super important for those numbers, too, because our business is cyclical in that, um, you know, month over month may be normal for your business. But what you did last year compared to this year is sometimes a better comparison to look at because of the seasonal nature that we we experience. Um, But yes, being able to like you may know that you were busy, but how come you only saved, you know, $250 at the end of the month? Like, where did it all go to? Um, Why was this month so much leaner than times previously? If you're tracking those numbers, you can look back and see, oh, well, we had, you know, something catastrophic happen that we didn't plan for that, you know, surprised us. Or our spending got – we bought all of the treats for all of the dogs uh, <laughs> or client gifts. Like That's another big one that I think a lot of people don't really necessarily know what they're giving back to their clients in a financial sense.
0: Oh, or I, I know for us sometimes it's the, um, oh, wow, we were approached with a really good advertising opportunity where we didn't know about the downtown dog run the last year, but we did know about it this year. And that's when we bought our booth and table and we sponsored the the lineup or whatever. And that's, that's why we spent more this year but but you know you have to know that because okay well then again we go circle all the way back to okay well i spent five hundred dollars on that booth and table and sponsor did i get anything from from that and now (laughs) i can look back and okay maybe i don't need to budget five hundred dollars for that next year because i'm not going to do that next year (laughs)
1: exactly exactly so you can you can make decisions on where where you spend those um those dollars uh month over month or year over year
0: for you I, I want, do want to talk about software and applications for us as the business owners, because I know that there's a lot of different options out there. But I, I know QuickBooks is, is really, really popular for not just business owners, but a lot of accountants, bookkeepers, CPAs, they like having that integration. So what are some, some tips that you have or best practices for, for QuickBooks? Or maybe what are my, what are my best options for using QuickBooks as a business owner?
1: Absolutely. So QuickBooks is the one that most people are familiar with. Um, I think it has something like 70% of the market share here in the United States. (laughs) Um, Zero and Wave are two other options that are out there. Equally as good, just lesser known um, services for accounting software. Um, with any software system that you set up again, I'm going to go back to my, um, soapbox here and separating personal and business money is super important at this stage. When you're deciding to integrate a new software system, you want to make sure that those monies are separate so that we are only looking at business money when we can. Um, otherwise it will get very complicated very quickly for you in, uh, separating those, those numbers out. Um, With all new systems that you put into place, make it a habit make it routine, have it be something that you're looking at regularly. For me, when I started my business, Sunday afternoons were my quietest time at home with not a lot of family obligations. So Mm -hmm. Sunday afternoons became the time when I would send invoices to my clients, uh, reconcile payments, um, look at uh, my income. If I was using QuickBooks, which I did very early on, it was categorizing transactions, dictating when an expense came through my bank account, um, what did it go towards? What expense account was it? So was it an advertising cost? Was it an insurance cost? Uh, Was it supplies that I purchased for the business? So making those transactions and doing it on a weekly basis keeps that time commitment down. You're only doing a little bit of work. When you let it go week over week or even month over month, it becomes a huge task to to tackle um, for you. And a lot of people can shy away from that. It becomes, it's not fun to do. Um sometimes there's an emotional component to looking at your financial numbers with your business uh, huh. <laughs> that um <laughs> You're making a face. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, you know, uh, it, it, it is because sometimes you know when we're when we're in, we're operating, we're looking, we're buying, we're doing things, we're reacting, and then we sit down and we see sometimes the literal damage that we have done. Right? Maybe we saw. Maybe it's just because oh wow I saw a really good um, photo pack that came through. Uh, you know I, I bought you know hundred dollars worth of stock photos that I can use, and oh and it was also oh it was, I had all these good deals, and it was you know we were rather impulsive, the, and then we look and we do that cat. Categorization process of, of assigning and looking and going, oh, wow, that's, I shouldn't have done that, right? Or or maybe it becomes overwhelming because we have waited an entire month and now not only is it overwhelming because there's lots of columns and lots of rows, but now I've got to remember and I'm stressed about what's going on and I just, I, oh, I can't even look at this. I just, I'll do this later, right? It's yep. That happens. Yep.
1: It does. It, I mean, it happens in our personal lives. So it's, of course, going to happen in our business lives as well. And there's nothing um, unique about that. Um, I find that with a lot of my clients that, um, you have that emotional component to doing it. So I think setting a routine, um, knowing what tasks need to be accomplished on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. Maybe you're looking at something on a quarterly basis because you need to make decisions, um, that are a little bit more long term, um, or an annual basis when you're, such as tax time, when you're compiling everything at the end. So knowing what those, Task lists are for each uh, piece of the puzzle, and breaking it up into smaller digester bits definitely helps. Um, like you said, doing it on a weekly basis keeps that the amount of work that needs to be done into a smaller chunk that that is more manageable for you.
0: Well, and we've talked about a lot of this in the context of making it manageable for us. But how how do we know when it's time for me to go? You know what I need. I need help with this. How how do we work through that decision process? <laughs>
1: It's every day Um, (laughs) from my perspective. I am a firm believer in outsourcing work that either you don't have the time or energy to accomplish yourself, Mm. that you may not have the knowledge to do effectively, or you simply dislike the actual work. Um, (laughs) As an example, I am not a marketing person. It is one thing that I absolutely dread having to do each week, creating social media content and putting it out there. Um, so I very quickly realized that there was a financial component to me um, benefit to paying someone else to do it uh, because I simply did not like it. It dragged me down each week. Um, so I think if you're at that point with your finances, um, that it's a, an essential piece uh, that that you can delegate out to it. Um, so again, not having the knowledge, the time, the energy, or the desire to do it is a good place to seek help. Um, at, As entrepreneurs, there will absolutely come a time when you can't juggle all of the pieces and you have to start deciding how you're going to delegate some of the day-to-day work of running your business happens. The first piece of that is when we hire an employee. We don't want to be out there doing all of the work all of the time. The second piece may be hiring a manager or an office staff to do all these things. Bookkeeping and accounting is not uh, unique in that sense. I mean, I think there will always be people who... Need to outsource that piece of the puzzle for any number of reasons for it. So, I think when you start to feel like you are struggling with it and Mm -hmm. this is no longer the piece that you want to do or can do, is the right time for you to start looking for help. And it's always got to be before October, November time (laughs) (laughs) because that's when we're gearing up for tax season to happen. And uh, January is a big piece of that puzzle. So, always engage your bookkeeper before their busy time between. October and February,
0: <laughs> right, right. And so, when it when it comes to that, what kind of things do I need to be giving my 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 CPA my, my tax accountant to make that easier on them come come tax time?
1: So most CPAs are going to ask you for a PL, that profit and loss report that we were talking about earlier. That's going to show your um, total income for the year um, January through December, as well as your total expenses uh, that we're going to subtract to that and get you that net income piece of the puzzle uh, for your numbers. That's going to help them immensely. Um, Some CPAs will ask for a balance sheet. And I know that that's a scary term to use that most people don't understand, but a balance sheet very quickly shows you what you owe to other people, what you own in your business, and um, what you have currently um, for that. And that's going to be a part of the puzzle for your tax accountant to do that. Most of the time you're going to be presenting this information anywhere between January and April 15th. Um, So the, the better your books are ahead of time, the easier that process is going to be for you. So if you haven't kept up with your books for the year prior, January to April is going to be a little bit of a stressful time for you if you've have your books clean and up to date come January. You're you're a lot more prepared um, for things and you can get it off your plate sooner.
0: Well, and you're not going to. Be, and let's be very real. Like, yes, you may be slammed and operating with this, but your CPA, your tax account, are also going to be slammed at this time. So, almost as a, uh, not almost, but as a courtesy to them, to make their lives as easy as possible, so that you don't get the stressed out, angry phone calls, going, "What the heck's going on with this? Where are the?" <laughs> just going, yes. like to make that as smooth as possible for everybody involved. It's just, it's a, it, that's a best practice. I think everybody can find
1: <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, it's like all things, just staying organized and on top of it makes for an easier process uh, as you go forward.
0: Anne-Marie, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us your story of your business, your lessons that you've learned and how you're applying that to, to numbers and encouraging us to get to know ours better and take some time out of our days to just start looking at these to make better decisions. Uh, I do know that there is a lot involved in this and that this is a rather large topic and kind of important for running a a good business. So if people are interested in um, finding out more information, getting connected with you, picking your brain, how best can they do that?
1: Absolutely. So first, thank you for having me um, today. It's been just a a real pleasure to be here and talk about this. This is a true passion of mine, so I can go on for hours on it, but I've enjoyed (laughs) our time today. Uh, People can reach out to uh, with my website at tinypawsbookkeeping.com. Um, they can also email me at Marie A-N-N-E-M-A-R-I-E, at tinypawsbookkeeping.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, so you can find us just about any of those places.
0: Cool. Well, I'll have all of those links in the show notes and on the website for people to click to. Again, Ann Marie, I want to thank you. Uh, this has been very enlightening and uh, kind of a, hopefully an encouragement to others, not not a dread cloud over the head to, to do something and to start working on this.
1: Absolutely. All of my clients have come to me at the same place, which is a, a place where they feel overwhelmed with what they've got to do. Um, so it is, it is something that we're familiar with. Um, it's something that everybody goes through, not unique, and we are always happy to help.
0: Well, thank you very much again, Anne-Marie. I really, really appreciate your time today. Have a great day. Numbers are everything when it comes to running a business. Yes, we have a passion for pets and a passion for serving others. But the only way that we're able to do that on a consistent, basis and execute well every single time is if we can financially show up to do that. We can try and run our businesses on our passions, but eventually we'll need to buy food. Just plain and simple. If you are feeling overwhelmed with your numbers, take a big breath, look at them, and recognize that it is no condemnation over what you did or didn't do in the past, but you are where you are right now, and that's what matters. How you move forward and the decisions from this point on will help set you up for success. We want to thank today's sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Perennials, for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you so, so much for listening. We can't tell you how much it means. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll be back again soon.